morning, Hope Church. After, um, after 9-11, the country singer Alan Jackson wrote a song entitled, Where Were You When the World Stopped Turning? So this month marks the um, one-year anniversary of the COVID-19 pandemic. Of course, uh, the coronavirus was making its way around the globe and uh, started before that time, but for most of us, it was one year ago when everything stopped, and the impact to our society was devastating. Uh, It impacted our physical health, of course, our economy, our jobs, our families, our marriages, our children, and uh, as a mental health professional, I can tell you that it definitely has and profoundly impacted our mental health. Um, I do a lot of grief work as a therapist, and uh, I believe that what we are experiencing um, in our world, in our country, uh, is a collective grief because of the events of the last year. Uh, I typed into Google, pandemic grief, and uh, this article... Uh, the one that uh, I posted up on the screen. Um, it's a New York Times uh, editorial, excuse me, a Washington Post editorial by uh, a woman named Hope uh, Edelman. And I wanted to read just a few uh, paragraphs from her article. It says, a century later, grief is again a widespread issue with each COVID death affecting an estimated of nine survivors. More than 4.5 million Americans are grieving loved ones lost to the virus. Uh, Beyond deaths to other causes, there were additional U.S. fatalities last year. And says fatalities, not talking about a physical death, but gatherings with family and friends, classroom learning, millions of jobs that won't return. So collectively, we have lost a way of life in 2020. Uh, And here's the unfortunate thing she writes. Yet there has been no sustained outpouring of public support for mourners, as happened after the devastation of 9-11. Instead of a broad acknowledgement of mass distress, our nation has been mute with grief. Pandemic skepticism has also disparaged the losses some have experienced. And this is a, she writes, this is a precarious state for a nation. Grief is cyclical, especially around anniversary dates. And she says, even under optimal conditions, many mourners experience a dip in functioning at the one-year mark. She writes, we should expect this to happen starting this month. She wrote this in March, beginning of March. With the one-year anniversaries of the first wave of pandemic deaths and lockdowns. One year isn't far enough along the arc of adjustment, but it's well beyond the point that most of us expect visible evidence of mourning to last. Collectively failing, she writes, collectively failing to grant each other permission to express distress beyond the first week's 
after a loss can have profound health consequences in children and teens. Grief can manifest as trouble sleeping, depression, anxiety, behavior issues, and lower self-esteem. A 2015 study found, uh, found th- those, uh, those stats. Research from 2018 finds it leads to aggression and academic or work study struggles in, in children and teens. In adults, unaddressed grief can manifest as depression, anger, anxiety, substance use, and abuse. Medical research has linked unaddressed and suppressed emotions to a host of physical ailments later in life, including hypertension and autoimmune disorders. Wow. That's just part of the article. And uh, you can go to the Washington Times. You can type in pandemic grief and that article will pop up, pop up if you want to read the entire, entire. It's actually an editorial. But all of that's very uh, uh, disturbing and concerning. And uh, she says that unaddressed grief can manifest as depression. So to mark the one-year anniversary of the pandemic, I wanted to talk about depression. But more importantly, I wanted to talk about what the Bible says about depression. One of the things I like about the Bible is that it addresses the real-life issues that we have and that we face. And it often does so by showing us these real-life issues in the lives of saints, Um, Joseph and Moses and Elijah and even Jesus, uh, we we see the struggles of the heroes of the faith. So this morning I want to look at uh, depression in the life of the prophet Elijah. And the scripture, if you want to turn in your Bibles, is 1 Kings 19 verses 1 through 18. Now, I'm not going to read the text right now because we're going to look at it. We're going to go through the text uh, slowly, so eventually we'll, we will read it. But I want to kind of give you just kind of like a, a context right now, some explanation. So Elijah is a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. And at this time, the, the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. Uh, David was the kingdom of the entire, uh, was king over the entire nation of Israel, Solomon. But after Solomon, it divided into north and south. And so Elijah was a prophet to the northern kingdom. And the, north, the nation of Israel at this time, the entire nation, north and south, is living in rebellion against God. They are, they are worshiping in the northern kingdom. They are worshiping the Canaanite god named Baal. Uh, so God sends Elijah to confront the king and the nation of Israel. So Elijah, if you remember the story, challenges the prophets of Baal to a contest. And uh, it's Baal versus the God of Israel. Uh, I don't have to tell you who wins. You, you know who wins. Uh, well, after experience a great victory, experiencing a great victory, Elijah gets threatened by the king's wife. Her name was Jezebel. That, even if you're not a Christian, you've heard that word before. It's, it's not a good name. You don't want to call. You don't want to name your daughter Jezebel when she's born. Uh, you don't want to be called Jezebel, right? Well, what does Elijah do when he gets 
this threat. Well, Elijah does what every man does when he's scared of a woman. <laughs> he, he runs away. He flees into the wilderness. But the wilderness is not merely a physical, physical one. It, he enters an emotional wilderness. And that, that wilderness is that he becomes depressed. So I want to make three points. First of all, you can see on the slide... Depression can come when. Depression can come when. Uh, first one is when we don't expect it. So look at uh, 1 Kings 19 verses 1 through 2. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. So King Ahab snitches on Elijah. He tells his wife what Elijah had done. And the queen, Jezebel, she doesn't waste any time. She sends a message to Elijah and she essentially tells him he's a dead man. So poor Elijah, he... You know, he's just probably resting after this great victory, and uh, you know, he's chilling, right? And then, boom, he gets this message out of nowhere, and it's a very, very real death threat. So I'm wondering, where were you one year ago? Before the pandemic and the, cor- the quarantine. Were you moving along at school? Were you killing it at your job? Were you and your spouse getting along? Were you getting along with your kids? Were you about to have a baby? Were you about to get married? Then boom. Everything stopped. We couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't do anything. We couldn't be around people, our family, our friends. We, could not, uh, we couldn't go to school. And some kids were kind of, some kids were happy about that, right, for a little while anyway. And then they got tired of that. They didn't want to be on school on the computer. They wanted to go be around their friends. Um, But if that weren't bad enough, there was this intense fear of catching a potentially, potentially deadly virus. And then as time wore on, we began to experience the the effects on our mental health. So depression can come when we don't expect it, and depression can come when we have had a great victory. So now I want to turn back to uh, 1 Kings 18, and uh, verses 36 through 40, if you have your Bible, and if not, the, the Scripture is going to be up on the screen. Um, I want to show you what actually happened. It says, at the time of the sacrifice, because remember I told you there was a contest, At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and I have done these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back to them. What Elijah had done, He challenged the prophets of Baal to this contest, and they each set up an altar. 
and they were going to call on their God. The, the, the prophets of Baal called out to Baal, and Elijah was going to call out to God, and whoever answered by sending fire on the sacrifice, that guy, that God was the true God. Well, Elijah, well, he, he lets these men, because there's no God. Baal, is, he's nobody. He doesn't even exist. They're crying out. They're cutting themselves. They're beating themselves. Nothing's happening. He starts mocking them. Hey, maybe he's on the bath. Maybe he's on the, maybe he's at, in the toilet. You know, maybe he's taking a nap. He starts really giving them a hard, talking smack. He's the original first smack talker, right? And, and, uh, and then when it came time for him, he dug a trench around the altar. And he had him get all this water and pour it over the sacrifice. Over the sacrifice. Well, before that, he rebuilt the altar that had been broken down. The altar to the true God. And then he put the wood and then he put the sacrifice and then he poured water on it. He said, do it again. Then he said, do it again. And he filled up. It was so covered with water that the trench was filled up. Now, I don't know if you go camping, how hard is it to to light a, a, a wet piece of wood. How hard is that to get on fire? It's impossible, right, Jim? Breezik? Is it impossible? <laughs> so, so he prays this prayer, and look what happens. Verse 18, uh, he says, uh, verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stone, stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. You know, if I could go back in time and witness historical events, this is the one that I would choose. I would choose this, this one. I would want to see God manifest himself in an awesome and a powerful way where fire literally fell, falls from heaven. Uh, but it didn't end there. God is not finished with Elijah. Look at verse 45 to 46. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain started falling. And Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Uh, the story is mentioned. This story is mentioned in the New Testament. I want us to look at James chapter 5, verses 17 through 18. It says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. We, we didn't read this part of the story. You know why the children of Israel were experiencing a three-year drought? Because Elijah said that it wasn't going to rain for three years. He's the one that prophesied. You know, if I say, hey, you know... Um, uh, there's going to be a guy here next week and he's going to give $1,000 to everybody who's here at the church. So if y'all come next week and there's nobody giving away $1,000, are y'all going to believe? <laughs> Man, Pierre has lost his marbles, right? So, but if 
pastor says, we're going to have a picnic next week. <laughs> and, you know, you say, oh, pastor, we had a picnic. Like pastor said, you're going to believe the person. And so Elijah said it wouldn't rain. It didn't rain. And then guess what? He prays. He not only did the sacrifice, but he prays and asks God. And he says, it's going to rain. And guess what happened? It rained. But that, and, and that's still not enough. He told a lot, he told, before it started raining, he told the king, get in your chariot, hurry up, go back to the city, because it's about to rain, it's going to come down. And you know what Elijah did? He pulled an Usain bolt, and he ran past King Ahab. You know, uh, uh, there have been some uh, upsets this weekend, right, in the Final Four. Oral Roberts University. <laughs> And uh, Abilene Christian University won, and they're going, they're advancing. I don't know if, when they play again, but they're advancing. I admire, I admire athletes. Uh, I don't know what it's like to be an athlete. You can tell I'm not an athlete, right? Uh, uh, we just had the Super Bowl two months ago, and, and, and Tom Brady, who most people say is the, the GOAT, right? Call him the GOAT, won his sixth Super Bowl. He was interviewed by 60 Minutes, a Sunday news program, after his third Super Bowl. He's got a big contract. He's an eligible bachelor. He's a successful Super Bowl athlete. I mean, all this. You know what he says? He says, after the third Super Bowl, there's got to be more than this. I don't know if Tom Brady actually became depressed, but I do know that people getting depressed after a big achievement is more common that you, than you might think. As a therapist, I've see, seen people get depressed after they graduate from high school. I've seen people get depressed after they get married. Now, some of you will be like, well, Pierre, no. No, I'm talking about literally right after they get married. When people uh, get depressed after they have a baby, after they get a promotion. Why? Because depression can come when we don't expect it. It can come when we, we've had a great victory. Now, number two, depression can be caused, first of all, by doubt and fear. Uh, uh, 1 Kings 19.3 says, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Now, Elijah was a human being. Uh, He believed in God and and God's power, but he was not above experiencing doubt and fear. And uh, I am am, uh, especially concerned at this time about our young people. Um, They appear to be riddled with doubt and fear like no other generation that we have known. I was looking through YouTube and I found this video that listed the five top problems teenager, uh, teenagers faced. The problems were drugs, drugs, study pressure, constant pressure to excel in all aspects of life, uncertainty about the future, and depression. Do you know when that video was made? 2016. This is four years before the pandemic. 
I, I can't imagine what uh, these young people must be saying now, uh, uh, living under a pandemic. But it's not just young people. We are all of us, all of us in here are prone to doubt and fear. It says Elijah was afraid. And what did he do? Well, what do we do, many of us, when we're facing a a threatening situation? He ran away. When you are depressed, where do you run? Do you run to your room? Young people, maybe older people, you run to your room. Do you run to the garage? Do you drive away? Or do you run to something? Do you run to a substance? Do you run to an unhealthy activity? Depression can be caused by doubt and fear, and it can be caused by physical, emotional, and spiritual exhaustion. Look at 1 Kings 19, 3-5. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom tree, broom brush, and sat under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush fell asleep. Elijah was exhausted. Do you, do you know what that's like? I'm not talking about being sleepy or tired. I'm talking about feeling like you have absolutely nothing left. Absolutely nothing left. The well has gone dry. It also might feel like you cannot handle one more thing. I I have clients all that. I can't take any more, Mr. Pierre. I can't take any more. Or I can't take it anymore. Uh, That's a breeding ground for depression. You know, there's a reason why one of the Ten Commandments has to do with rest. Because there is a limit. There is a limit to what any of us can handle. Uh, Depression can be caused by doubt and fear. Depression can be caused by physical, emotional, and spiritual exhaustion. And depression can be caused by hopelessness. Look at 1 Kings 19, 9 through 10 again. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put down and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Elijah felt hopeless, and he's basically telling God, "Hey, what's the point? There, is, there is no hope. You know, I've been your guy, Lord. I've always done what you told me to do, but despite that." Your people have rejected you. They killed your prophets. And now they're trying to kill me. You know, when when I'm screening someone for depression, I ask them if they're feeling hopeless. This is a warning sign. This is a symptom of depression. But it's not just a symptom. It can cause depression. 
Hopelessness can cause depression. And uh, do you feel hopeless this morning? Do you feel hopeless about your grades? Do you feel hopeless about your relationships? Do you feel hopeless about your marriage? Do you feel hopeless about your job? Do you feel hopeless about your health? Do you feel hopeless about an addiction? Depression can be caused by doubt and fear, physical, emotional, and spiritual exhaustion, and hopelessness. And finally, depression can lead to isolation. Look at 1 Kings 19, 3 through 4. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Elijah wanted to be alone. He wanted to be left alone, and he wanted to be alone. Now, I want to say, say this. Um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting some time for yourself. They call it me time, right? Don't you love that? Me time. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. We, we call that solitude. And, you know, even Jesus himself went off by himself. Uh, and, oh, yeah, he went to pray. Yes, Jesus went to pray. But have you read about the disciples and the apostles? Man, he probably needed to get away from them for, for a little while. They were not the brightest bulbs in the bunch, you know? And they're arguing with each other and they're complaining all the time. I mean, it's like having 12 kids, right? Yes, woe is right. Woe is right. So there's nothing wrong with solitude. Isolation is different. That's when solitude turns to avoiding people. You don't want to talk to anybody. You don't want to be around anybody. You don't respond to texts. You don't respond to voicemails. You, people ask you to do things. You decline to do things with people. To, to spend time with your family and friends. And you decline that. So a question. Have you been isolating yourself? Have you been isolating yourself? Depression can lead to isolation. It can also lead to despair. 1 Kings 19 verse 4 says, He came to a broom brush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Was Elijah suicidal? I, I don't think so. But he definitely did not want to live anymore. He didn't want to live anymore. Um, it's heartbreaking when I hear someone, especially a young person, say, Mr. Pierre, I just want to lay down and go to sleep and not wake up. It's heartbreaking. Uh, that's what depression does. It sucks the life out of you. You know, one of the uh, unnoticed symptoms of depression is something called anhedonia. That's when nothing makes you happy. You don't find pleasure in anything. Even in things that you used to love, go golfing, going fishing, going shopping, you know, eating good food, hanging out with your friends, listening to music, dancing, whatever the activity that you used to do. And you don't want to do any of that because it's no fun. And it doesn't bring you any pleasure. That's called anhedonia. 
And that's what despair does. It removes all joy from our lives. It removes hope. It removes purpose. So depression can lead to isolation. It can lead to despair. And so I wanted to apply this. What's the cure for depression? Does the Bible offer a cure for depression? Let's look. The treatment for depression. The treatment for depression is, first of all, self-care. 1 Kings 19, 5 through 7. Then he lay down under a bush and fell under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Uh, I saw this meme. And perhaps you've seen it too. The lady says, this is your gentle reminder that one time in the Bible, Elijah was like, God, I'm so mad, I want to die. So God said, here's some food. Why don't you have a nap? So Elijah slept, ate, and decided things weren't so bad. And then this commentary Never underestimate the spiritual power of a nap and a snack. (laughs) That is self-care. And do you know who practiced self-care? You know who was the model of self-care? Jesus. He wasn't going around preaching, teaching, doing miracles, healing people 24-7. There was one time he went off by himself and the people wouldn't go looking for him. Why? He stopped. He stopped and he rested. And, and taking care of ourselves is important. It's important all the time. Not just when we're depressed, but how much more important is it that we take care of ourselves when we are depressed? So we saw that Elijah was exhausted. And perhaps you're exhausted this morning. Um, I have one... Uh, word for you that there really is only one cure for exhaustion R E S T for those of you who graduated from A&M that spells rest (laughs) that spells (laughs) that spells rest So the treatment for depression is self-care, and it is soul care. 1 Kings 19, 8-14. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty, Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. 
But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put down your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Same, same verse. (laughs) He just keeps repeating the same thing. Uh, The story ends here at Horeb. It's called the mountain of God. And I don't know if this was Elijah's destination at first or if it was God's goal to get him to Horeb. But this is a very significant, this mountain is very significant to the, to the people of Israel. And, and to one person in particular in the Old Testament. Does anyone know who that person is? Do you know who saw God in a burning bush? At Mount Horeb? Moses. Do you know that, 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 that this is the mountain where God uh, uh, gave the Ten Commandments? God showed up uh, on that mountain. You want to know how he showed up? It says there was thunder, lightning, smoke, and the mountain trembled. Now when these things happened to Elijah, it says that God was not in the wind or the earthquake, or the fire. What happened after the wind, the earthquake, and the fire? Elijah heard a gentle whisper. And what did the voice say? God simply asked Elijah a question. What are you doing here? You know, they tell lawyers, I've said this before, but they tell lawyers to never ask a question that they don't know the answer to. And if Mike had been there, I'd been like, right, isn't that right, Mike? Mike would be like shaking his head, right? Uh, he's an attorney here at our church. Um, but, you know, God in the Bible never asks a question that he doesn't already know the answer to. Remember when Adam and Eve were hiding after they ate the apple? They disobeyed and they saw they were naked and they put fig leaves on. And then they went and hid because they heard God coming. What did God say? Adam, where are you? <laughs> God, God knew, God knew where, where Adam and Eve were. And then when their son, Cain, killed his brother, and God said, where is your brother Abel? God knew. God knows. So what's the point? When God's asking a question, ask us a question, he's not asking the question for our benefit for, for his benefit, but for our benefit. He wants us to be honest with ourselves. So what's happening at the end of the story? How does God respond to Elijah? I can tell you how he doesn't respond. He doesn't say, suck it up, buttercup. Quit your whining. That sounds like someone in our church. I don't some. Oh. Some old guy, some really old guy says that. God does three things. He lets Elijah vent. He simply listens to Elijah. And then he asks Elijah 
a question. He lets Elijah vent. He listens to Elijah and he asks Elijah a question. Does anyone know what profession that sounds like? What? A therapist. Woo! Get extra points. That's exactly right. Oh my gosh. What a counselor that would be, right? It's a very short, that's called brief therapy, we call that. <laughs> uh, um, we read earlier that God fed Elijah and let Elijah rest. So he attends to Elijah's physical needs. But I would also add that he's attending to Elijah's spiritual and emotional needs. Elijah's soul was weary. Do you know what the Greek word for soul is? Pastor? I'm going to put you on the spot. No, for soul, not spirit. Do you know? Suke, where we get the word psychology. So God is attending to, you could say, his psychological needs. His spiritual needs, yes, but I think his psychological needs as well. So the treatment for depression, self-care, soul care, and then finally, ooh, there's a thank God, finally, uh, act. First Kings 19, 15 through 18, the Lord said, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of, over Israel, and anoint Elijah, son of Shaphath, from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Haziel, and Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. And he says in 19, 15 through 18, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. I'm the only one left. They're going to kill me. God laid down some knowledge <laughs> on Elijah. Um, so I wanted to, to, to end with this thing called act. This is a relatively new, I was telling pastor, this is a relatively new form of therapy. It stands for acceptance and commitment Therapy, but it also stands for, and Trudy, you can just run through these. Accept your thoughts and your emotions. Choose a valid direction and take action. Accept your thoughts and emotions. When I say it's okay, I'm not saying, oh, I wish everybody was this way. It's okay to be depressed. It's normal to be depressed. We're, we're human. Um, it's okay. But at some point, we, then we do have to make a choice about what we're going to do now. What are we going to do next? Yes, we've had these terrible things happen to us. Uh, we're sad about them. But what do we want to do Choose a value direction and then take action. That's what Elijah, Elijah, God let Elijah vent and Elijah's told the Lord how he felt. And then guess what? When God told him what to do, he went and did it. 
You know the rest of the story. He took action. So um, I was, I was almost not going to include this, but those of you who are in our Sunday school class, I made the decision in Sunday school today to share this part. Uh, we're approaching two of the most important Christian holy days, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And before Easter, before Friday, before Good Friday, you know what comes? What's, what's that, what Thursday is known as? Maundy Thursday. Now, most of you know that's the day Jesus had the, the Last Supper, and he prayed in the garden, and he was betrayed by Judas, right? Now, I've read about these events in the gospel so many times. But several years ago, I noticed something for the first time. When Jesus went to the garden, he left most of his disciples to go and pray off, pray by himself. However, he took his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, with him. See, he did what Elijah did not do. He took his friends with him. But not only did he take his friends with him, he opened up to these friends. This is what he said. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus was not suicidal. But I think that he would have preferred to simply lay down and die a natural death rather than go to the cross. Now, Yes, I imagine he knew he, knew he was going to be beaten and, and, and crucified and all that. And he, that. Nobody would be looking forward to that. But I think what was really bothering him, and we were talking about this in class, I think he was the most concerned and sad about being the object of his father's wrath, of experiencing what he had never experienced before in his life, a separation. What, what, he didn't run away. He didn't run away. What did he do? He acted. He accepted how he was feeling. He shared how he was feeling with his disciples. Then he went and prayed and asked his father for something. Lord, take this cup. He prayed three times. You know, I wonder, it doesn't say, but I wonder if Jesus heard his father's voice. I wonder if he heard the gentle whisper. Do you know in the Hebrew, the word actually means a silence. Like a hushed sound. Like when there's all this noise and all of a sudden just stops. And I wonder if that's what Jesus heard. And it's not like, oh, I'm talking to you, you're not listening. No, it wasn't that. It was a holy moment. And what did Jesus do? He chose to do the Father's will, even if it meant suffering. And what did he do? He took action. He surrendered himself to be be arrested, to be judged, to be beaten, and finally to be crucified. So if you are depressed this morning, My encouragement to you is to accept your thoughts and your feelings. Choose what you want to do and take action.
Let's pray. Father, we just come before you, Lord. We're thankful that you truly understand. Your son, the Lord Jesus, truly understands what we go through. That he experienced sorrow so great that he wanted to die, that he wanted to have death. So you understand, Father, when we, when we go to you, when we turn to you, we know, Lord Jesus, that you are gentle and loving and accepting and you comfort us, Lord, and you sustain us and you restore us and you, you bring us back to life, Father. Lord, I pray this morning for any in our midst, any who are watching, Father, that if they are depressed, Father, that they would sense your presence, Father, that they would sense your power, that they would sense your peace, Father, that they would sense your joy, Father. Show them, Lord, what you want them to do and help them to do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.